Have you thought about becoming a career coach, but not sure what it's really like? Not sure how to get started? Well, we've got you covered. Let's drop into this week's conversation of how to become a career coach. Hey, my name is Joshua Rivers. And right before I pass the mic to Scott for today's conversation, let me pose a scenario. Let's pretend that you grew up in a poor third world country You moved to the United States for college and then got married. It seemed like you were turning things around, but then you got a brain tumor, lost your career, and your wife left you. Then as things started to get put back together, you got another brain tumor. If you're like me, you'd probably be getting pretty discouraged and ready to quit. But it's a good thing that our guest today is not like me. Now, that's the life story for our guest. It's stripped down quite a bit, though. He has survived three brain tumors overall, and amidst all the loss that he's had in his career and relationships, he found the resilience to help him bloom where he is planted. Now, he's an executive coach helping leaders accelerate their learning, growth, and change. Our guest today is Luis Vasquez, and when I heard his story a couple months ago, I told Scott that we need to get him on this podcast right away. I am uh, Luis Velasquez. I live in Redwood City, California, and I consider myself a resilient and learning accelerator. If you put categories on it, they call me a coach, but I consider myself more as a resilient expert. I am super curious about what you mean by resilient expert. What does that mean to you? So if you knew me, and I hope that we get to it, you can understand you know, my life. Let's put it that way, which is a combination of an incredible series of happy accidents with a lot of struggle throughout my life. And, you know, there are some people that when they go through a struggle, they survive. Other ones that they come back and other ones that thrive. I consider myself a thriver. So in other ways, you know, all the hardships and all the hard times that I have had in my life, I have used them as a motivation to adapt to whatever conditions I was in at the moment. You know, look forward to bloom where I'm planted, to grow where I am, to be resourceful, and to try to adapt to the conditions that I am with the intention of thriving rather than just surviving or rebounding. I love the concept of thriving rather than just surviving. Yeah, yeah. I want to come back to that here in in just a little bit because I've got so many questions to ask you about that alone. However... I'm really interested in what you mentioned just a moment ago about you have been through a huge variety of different struggles. So I'm curious, take me back to where that started and let's spend a few minutes there. Sure. So I was born in Guatemala, Central America. Yeah. In a very, very tiny town up in the mountains in extreme poverty, let's put it that way, on the pressure of an incredible and very violent civil war. The 1970s and 80s, you know, the United States was struggling with a Cold War. And the battlefield was Latin America and other countries bounced out there. So I grew up in those conditions. Having said that, to me, that was normal because I didn't know anything else. That was how it was. Yeah. In fact, with my friends in the school, we played this game and and, uh, uh, the next weekend and tried to figure out who was going to disappear. 
because that's what will happen. You know, the guerrillas will come and they will snatch people out and just kill them. <laughs> or the army will do the same. It was very brutal back then. You know, I mean, you go to sometimes to the supermarkets here and you realize, my God, how many types of bread can you buy? Or you ask people ask themselves, you know, what are we having for dinner? You know, I grew up thinking if we were going to have dinner. So that was my normal, let's put it that way. The war ended and as part of the peace agreement that people signed, yeah. they established a scholarship fund. And the scholarship fund was to bring people, young people from, from those areas, educate them here in the States, give them, you know, some education and uh, teach them some English and then send them back so they can be beacons of change and hope. Let's put it that way. I love math. You know, math was my thing. And I love every single thing about math. And so I, I did well in school. I was selected, you know, to come to the United States. And so I did an associate of science degree, community college, and I learned English. After that, I went back to fulfill my obligation to the scholarship program. But what that did to me was transformational. Not only because I got skills, but I saw the possibilities. I realized that my normal wasn't normal at all, you know, and I realized, oh my God, there is so much that I could do. So I went home, I fulfilled my obligation, and then from a moment on, I decided to start finding a way to get back or go somewhere else and finish my education. When you realized that your normal wasn't normal at all, was that a trickle realization spread over a lot of time or was there one event or a series of events that really led to that aha oh the minute i step out of the plane you know the minute i arrived here you know i went to the supermarket and i was like holy crap <laughs> <laughs> you know it's just like it was just amazing to see and then community college and the libraries and everything i had an idea i've seen tv but I, it wasn't like experiencing firsthand what did that feel like overwhelming, but at the same time, exciting to see, oh my God, I can do this. I can go to college. I can finish school. You know, I can become this. I can become that. So it opened the possibilities for me. It opened my, my field of view, mm -hmm. let's put it that way. So I went back home. I, you know, I started looking for scholarships and trying to see if I can, you know, find another one. In the, in the process, my dad had a horrible, horrible accident and, and he was not able to work for a few years. So my mother had to take over and I am one of five children. So we were like distributed among our other relatives, you know, because we couldn't be together. So I finally got a scholarship to uh, Florida. I attended Florida A&M University. Mm -hmm. And uh, the reason why I went there is because that was the only university in Florida that will take me in the spring, which is when I wanted to come. The other universities that I got admitted, they will want to be to come in the fall. And I said, no, I'm going in the spring. What was significant about the spring at the time? I just wanted to start. I just wanted mm. to get started. And if you know what is Florida AM University, it's a traditional African-American institution. And that was incredible for me. That was like an incredible experience. From then, I finished my bachelor's. I got the school bug and I finished my master's in plant biotechnology. And I was recruited to several universities. So I went to Michigan State and I did a PhD in botany and plant pathology, which is basically, you know, they told me, so you have a green thumb. Now I kill everything <laughs> <laughs> because my work was basically, you know, biochemistry and, and, the molecular, and work at the molecular level. Yeah. In the process, I got married. You know, I found a wonderful, incredible woman and we got married. 
my goal then became, I wanted to be a professor. I said, I want to be a professor. I accomplished my dream. I got a, a professorship at Michigan State University and uh, fungal genetics. So I said, okay, it's done. You know, I have it, you know, all you have to do is publish a couple of papers and uh, everything will be, bam, I'll be fine. I'll get tenure and I'll never be fired. Yay. Well, life <laughs> has different, yeah, life throws a curveballs, you know, and I was diagnosed with a brain tumor. After the brain tumor, after I came back for the brain tumor and uh, the operation and the brain surgery, I couldn't even recognize my own mother. And when they asked me, you know who this is? when my wife was standing there, I said, this is the lady that cleans my house. <laughs> oh, wow. I survived the tumor. Neither my marriage nor my career survived. So I needed to figure out what to do. And the lowest point in that process is when I realized that my wife was living. It was a very, very dark time that I almost committed suicide. In the middle of that thought, something appeared in my head. And it was the image of my mother. And I realized that I couldn't do that to her, you know, that, I, that she will suffer tremendously if I took my own life. So she saved my life pretty much. Then I decided I need to do something else. You know, I need to figure out what to do. As part of the divorce settlement, <laughs> I kept the books. <laughs> my wife was an HR uh, person, you know, so she, did, yes. uh, she went to school at uh, Michigan State uh, doing HR. And I started reading HR and, and I started figure out what am I going to do? I, I consider sales. I consider going to, you know, real estate and several other things. Then I decided, you know what, I'm going to do an HR expert. And I made a commitment to become an HR person. And I started to market myself as an HR person. And of course, you know, everybody will laugh at me because I have no experience or no anything. But it only takes one person to believe in you. It only takes one person to give you the opportunity. And I found that person and, 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 and he said, hey, you know, I mean, I know that you want to do that. You know, I, he was working for a consulting company and he said, uh, I got good news and not so very good news. The good news is I'll give you a job. The bad news is that it's in Saudi Arabia. And if you think about that time, it was in 2005 and six, you know, we were in the middle of the war conflict in, in, yes. in the Middle East. So, there were a lot of bombings in Saudi Arabia, so people were leaving, and I was going back in. <laughs> so that's where I started. Let me ask you about a few different areas of that. Yeah. So first of all, this concept of it only takes one. This is something that I believe very deeply in. I also have observed that most of us don't act that way. As if it only takes one. It only takes one person to believe in you. It only takes one opportunity. It only takes... Uh, instead, we act... A lot of people, and there's a lot of good data that goes along with this, <laughs> maybe unfortunately, as though it's unlikely that they're going to pick me because I don't have the experience. It's unlikely that this is going to happen. Instead of looking at it as, hey, it only takes one. Like It's only one out of you know, <laughs> however many chances... And instead, we act upon the unlikely side, or we act upon the odds are stacked against me. Uh, so I'm curious for you, my question for you is, what made you feel like that you wanted to lean towards this only take one type of, type of approach? What do you think went into that at the time? At that time, I wasn't thinking about that it only takes one. Now yeah. I look back and I say, it only took one person. Yes. And the, the reality is that it only takes one person to help you get started in whatever you're going through. And if you look at it from that perspective, it's much, much easier to assimilate that concept. That's number one. 
And to your point saying, you know, oh my God, I don't have this, I don't have the experience, you know. Mm. And those are things that I call, you know, the competences that you have. And yeah, I didn't have any competencies, but there is another component of being successful that is relationship building, you know. And I see this all the time with people that I coach sometimes. It's like they expect if I am doing a good job, they should be able to see it. If I am doing a great job, you know, my, my, my results should speak for myself. And I think that we're doing a disservice to ourselves if we expect people to do the hard work for us. And therefore, you know, relationship building is key in whatever you are. Performance, you, you show what you can do, but also you build alliances and build relationships. Because maybe in that relationship building, you will find the one person that will catapult your career and push you in the direction that you want to go. Well, and if you keep going with that logic, too, then if it only takes one person and you're not building relationships, then that one person is going to be impossible to find because yeah. <laughs> if there's no relationships, then there's no one person. Nobody's going to pick you for what you have to offer. Let's put it that way. Unless you're, an, unless you're one of those people that have like an incredible skills, which leads me to the other component that I have learned yeah. is about branding. You know, it's about who do you want to be known for? What do you want to be known for? So going back to, you know, the relationship building, it's about building the relationships that will help you. I have four relationships in my life. Let's put it that way. And I learned that throughout the time. So if you find a compass, you know, like a north, south, east and west. So in the north, I have mentors and I'm looking always to try to find the person that will help me to figure out the next step of my career. I get a mentor or a, an advocate, let's put it that way. But then I also mentor other people in the south. Uh, one thing that I learned is that the best way to master something is by teaching it. So if I am a coach, I can be a better coach by helping other people how to coach. Mm-hmm. In the West, I, you know, I'm a runner. I haven't shared that with you. I, I have run over 100 marathons and several ultra, ultra marathons as well. But I always try to find someone that I can run with. So I have several relationships that are my wingman. And the idea is that the, the best way to advocate for yourself is not when you do it, but when others do it for you. And on the left, on the east, I have, you know, my competition. You know, people that I watch and I have relationship with, not necessarily to have what they have in, but rather what else I can do in addition to what I'm doing now. So if you think about those four relationships, mentor, mentee, your running body or your wingman, and who, you, who you're competing against. So let me ask you about that as well as actually let's dive back for just a moment because I don't want to gloss over how you got to here as well. Yeah. These four different types of relationships that you're talking about, I'm guessing that you weren't always thinking about that necessarily nope. at the time. That's a not, not product of, of hindsight in some ways. Yeah, not intentional. Yeah. What led you to really realize that really there are these four relationships in your mind that become incredibly important for this type of progression and resilience? A few years ago, I met uh, an incredible person, you know, as again, you know, it takes only one person. <laughs> only one. <laughs> only one. And, and he is a uh, world-renowned coach and author. His name is Jim Cousins. And we were talking in an elevator. And then he asked me, hey, so, you know, in an elevator, I basically told him, you know, about a little bit about my life. And then we had lunch and, and I shared more about what I've through. And he said, Luis, you need to write that. 
And I said, like, but how? What do you mean? And he said, just write your stories. Just write your story. And what I did is I did that. Is I wrote a bunch of stories about my life, you know, running an Ironman, running my first marathon, moving to the States, you know, my experience of uh, my diagnosis as a, as a cancer survivor, all of those things. When I have them, he asked me, I cannot read them all, but tell me about this one. Tell me about this one. Tell me about this one. And then all of a sudden, five piles started to be evident. And he said, that's your book. And those are the five piles that I have used now to go back and realize that this is the way I've been living my life. Wow. You know, I mean, it's, it's my, my, basically my life lessons, you know? Yeah. And one of those is relationship building. You know, it's like, I call it, you know, you cannot do life alone. I don't know if you want me to go into the five piles really quick. Number one is that change happens, you know, I mean, whether we like it or not. You know, life is too long that we're going to find ourselves in a pickle at one time or another. And if you haven't found yourself in one, wait, it's going to happen. It's on its way. <laughs> it's on its way. So the way I see it is that, you know, we have to embrace the suck. That's what I call it. And I have a mantra for that. And I look about it and I always thinking about what am I going to do about this? You see, what am I going to do about this? And I didn't know that I was doing this. You know, even when I was tiny little boy, I remember thinking about it. What am I going to do about this? As part of that component also, if you think about all the fear that I have gone through my life, you know, there is a lot of fear in there. You know, when I was diagnosed with a brain tumor, when I went to get my first, you know, uh, MRI, when I had to sign that horrible paper that says that if I am a vegetable, please kill me, you know. <laughs> or when I, you know, there's so many points of fear in my life. When I was running my first marathon, when I actually, you know, started my first 100 mile race or my first Ironman, I also have a mantra for that. I don't want to be fearless. I want to fear less. And by assuming I want to fear less, it gives me permission not to be perfect. It gives me permission to go and do it and not to uh, be messy. Let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. So I seek improvement rather than perfection, if that makes sense. Yes, absolutely makes sense. So that's number two. So fear happens, you know, uh, change happens. The other one is, you know, relationship happens. And I mentioned to you, you know, the four relationships that I have in my life. And, and I think that one of the big components for me has been about being able to work and try and understand others that are different from me because that helps me to empathize, to see people from their perspective rather than perspective given, perspective taking. And if I am talking to you, trying to understand you, then we're going to communicate better. So relationship happens. The other one is, the other, the other component that I learned is that we're stronger than we think we are. Uh, we tend to go in two camps either overestimate ourselves, which is no good, or underestimate ourselves. And most of us underestimate ourselves. And the reality is that, you know, I mean, we're, we're, we're freaking strong. Uh, having said that, you know, there is a, I call it, you know, like we should always be learners. We always be learning. If you're learning, if you're not learning anything today, you're not growing. And I see my life in three, you know, as a triangle. I see it from the spirit, uh, mind and body. So you got to train your mind and your body and you got to train your spirit. And the way I do it is I read a lot. That's how I train my mind. I work out, I run, and I am trying to be grateful all the time, trying to find opportunities to be grateful. You see this little rock? I see the rock. Uh, so this rock, my daughter painted, and it is, my daughter is five-year-old, and she said, this is your great your gratitude rock. So every time I see it, you know, I have to be, you know, be aware of what am I grateful for. And we have another one in the car. 
So when I drive her to school, I grab the little rock and I give it to her and she has to give me three times what she's grateful for. Three things what she's grateful for. And I do the same. And this is a routine that we have. So that's how I train my spirit because by doing that, then I see the world in a different perspective. I see the world with a mindset of abundance rather than what am I lacking, you know, and sorrow. I don't have this, I don't have that, etc. That is the other component. You know, you're stronger than you think you are. And the last thing that I found very important is that we have to have something that fulfills us. I call it, you know, a passion. And I think that that is the key for me is I try to solve for fulfillment rather than satisfaction. So tell me about the difference between that in your mind. We've talked a lot about that exact concept on this show, but I've also realized that for human beings, there is a very unique element. So what does that mean to you, the difference between fulfillment versus satisfaction? Satisfaction is usually comes from the outside, the way I see it, yeah, it comes from the outside. You know, I want a bigger car. I want a better job. I want more money. I want this. I want that. And once you get there, you're satisfied, but you're never fully satisfied because once you get there, you want more. And if you don't get it, you get upset and it's horrible because you're, you're not there. And people spend their lives trying to up the satisfaction threshold, let's put it well. Whereas fulfillment is more internal. And what fulfills you? What, what makes you get up in the morning? And you don't have to be rich. You don't have to have all the money in the world to find fulfillment. You can fulfillment in any level at any moment. So like for me, for instance, you know, what makes me fulfilled is knowing that my purpose in life is to help others to adapt and thrive. And when I do that, I actually, my first, my client, my best clients are my two children. And I start there. I do it with my clients. I do it with my friends. So that fulfills me. That makes me, that keeps me going. Let's put it that way. I don't do it for money. Having said that, I have two things. You know, I have two. I mean, as you can see now, everything for me is three things. Everything for me is three things. <laughs> I'm very much the same way. <laughs> so it's like, you know, I, I have to put things into buckets in order yes. for me to make sense. So I have a purpose, which is basically my fulfillment bucket. And I have a focus. My fulfillment, uh, my, my purpose is to provide for my family through coaching and helping others. I'm sorry, the purpose is coaching and helping others. The focus is provide for my family, which is purely economical and selfish. Let's put it that way. Because of the situation where I am right now, I can go and help a lot of people, but I need to also take care of my family. So by doing this, and looking at all the engagements from that perspective, then it's easier for me to say, I'm going to do this, or no, I'm going to push back on this one, or I'm going to do this. Am I fulfilling my purpose and my focus? So let's bring this all the way back to what we started talking about in the beginning, because yeah. I'm so curious, when you were talking about thriving, not surviving, and you're talking about much of the struggle and hardship that you've endured, what do you believe has helped you to make it in and turn it into a huge net positive for yourself rather than surviving as as you called it so you've had all of these different struggles we've talked about you know low points to the point where you know you considered taking your own life we've talked about marriage dissolving through a really difficult point in your your life through the brain tumor the, we've talked about quite a few different pieces here, and 
it sounds like, even though I can't imagine in any sense of the word, it was anywhere remotely close to easy. You've been able to take that and turn it into something that is a huge net gain, net positive for yourself. So talk to me about what do you consider to be the difference between surviving and thriving? And then what has really helped the most? I think that for me, what has made the difference is understanding that I have choices and that I can adapt to whatever situation I have, that I can adapt to whatever situation I have. I have a model that I says, you know, I cannot control the rain, but I can control if I get wet or not. And, and I think that I am called, and I haven't gotten a lot of feedback that I am overly positive and optimistic. And I think that if I will pinpoint that something that will explain that is the way I see the world, is I see the world with a mindset of abundance and things will get better. You know, whatever I'm going through, this too shall pass. There is another way. Oh, I can learn that too. You see what I'm saying? It's the idea that I am a work in progress. The idea that I am, the possibilities are endless for me. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And what I hear you saying is that very much your mindset that you've adapted over the years has contributed to you being able to to turn many of these things into a net positive and also yeah. recognizing that whatever it is that's going on as you said it this too shall pass and looking at it, it what you called out at the very beginning that progress over um, establishing perfect or another way that I took that took you to mean that was focusing on the on the progress and anticipating the progress rather than a destination, if you will, for lack of a better phrase. I think that there are two things that come with that optimism. I knew there was going to be more than one because <laughs> it had to go into in the buckets. <laughs> yeah, that, I, that oh. I always bring it back to what I can do. Yes. About. So the way I see now that I'm thinking about this, I see things, two things in two different buckets, you know, a, what I call a gravity bucket and a situational bucket. Mm-hmm. And the gravity problem is things that I cannot control. You know, the, hence the word gravity. You know, you cannot control gravity. Yeah. But the situational problem is what I can do to go around the gravity. So that's one. I think that that has made a difference because if I cannot control that, so why I should even tackle it? You know, now I give you a perfect example of that. Every year I go to get an MRI. To, to see if my brain is still in good shape. <laughs> yeah. The only day I worry about that is the day of the MRI. I cannot do anything about that. You know, that's the nature of my issue. But and my wife and I considered this when we were deciding to have children. My world can change from one year to the next. And it's like, do you want the children to be, you know, uh, grow without, without father? Can we do this? And then I realized that I said to her, you know, I don't want my death ruled the way I live. The gravity problem is the result of the MRI. The situational problem, the situational challenge is I'm not going to let this put a hamper on how I want to how I want to live today. Does that make sense? Absolutely makes sense. So that's one that is, you know, the, the gravity problem and the situational problem. The other component that I have taken very, very seriously is the difference between being lack of resources versus being resourceful. So going back to fulfillment versus satisfaction, lack of resourceful, lack of resources. I don't have this yet. I don't have it. I cannot do it because I don't have X. I cannot do it because I don't have X. But if I have the mindset of 
what can I use today that I have already to solve the problem? Yeah, that's something that I perpetually remind myself of. So that absolutely resonates with me. I have to remind myself, I have everything that I need to do whatever it is that I'm trying to accomplish at any given moment. I just need to figure out where and how and how all the puzzle pieces fit together because it's all right there. Yeah. When I started my coaching practice, I also, you know, I have coaches, you know, as I, as I said, you know, I have my coaches, mentors, you know, and one of them asked me, so what risk do you want to take? And I'm like, what do you mean? What risk do you want to take? Do you want to take a market risk or you want to take a competitive risk? And I said, well, if you want to take a competitive risk, then you have to be the best coach that is there. You have to go to school. You have to do this. You have to build your coaching practice around everything that a coach needs to have or you want to take a market risk is become an expert in something and claim that niche. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's easier. So that's what I decided. You know what? I'm a coach because that's a label that I have, Mm -hmm. but I want to be known for resiliency. And going back to the other framework that I mentioned earlier, you know, the gravity problem is a lot of coaches out there. And I don't want to be caught in the competition. The situational challenge is how I can differentiate myself from everybody else. So I think that a combination of those things has allowed me to be optimistic, approach everything that I have, every, everything literally with that mindset that whatever that is, there is something I can do to fix it or to improve it or change it or whatever. So with coaching being the how you help, if you will, or the function of help, if you want to call it that, for lack of a better phrase, but really the type of help you're providing is around resiliency. How did you make the decision that that is one of the ways that you wanted to be able to help people in the world? What took place there to cause you to say, yes, I want to dive in deeper to helping people in this coaching type capacity? I, when I started my, doing my work as a consultant and uh, as a trainer, yeah. uh, you know, many things, you know, uh, my goal was to help and to change how people to become better. And one thing that I noticed when I was doing uh, training in the masses, let's put it in management training, mm-hmm. is that it wasn't really very effective. People will not change behavior as a result of the learning. You know, oh, this is great. You know, have great conversations and then just put the things, the training materials on the shelf and nothing happens. I realized that learning is not enough. Knowledge is not enough. Action has to happen to do anything digitally. So that's when I decided, you know, I want to do transformational work with people. Transformational work has to happen if you support and challenge individuals, providing follow-up. Because you, can, you and I can have a great conversation about all of these things. This is the only thing that we got, a great conversation, and no action happens as a result of it, then it's a waste of time. Your time and my time. So my goal then is I realize that I need to affect change at the core of people. And the way I do that is by figuring out the knowledge, you know, like uh, transfer knowledge and accelerate the learning. I don't, ha- I don't have everything that will figure out what do you need to learn and then providing support and challenge and pushing you so you can start making changes on your behavior as a result of the knowledge that you are acquiring. And if you do that, then you become a better person you become a better manager. That has a trickle-down effect on everybody else and the people that I interact with them. I have had calls from clients asking to speak to their wives 
or husband, because it is that level of transformation that I am seeking to. If you think about the knowledge or the, all the knowledge in the world, back, back in the old days, there was wisdom. The shamans, they knew all the wisdom in the world. And then knowledge started to appear. You know, the writers and the, you know, the Plato's and they incredible information. And now we have information, little bits of information around. And most people just want information. I want to know what works. Tell me what to do. You know, the, the blog. And I think that we're missing the knowledge and we're missing the wisdom. I try to coach all the time, you know, given the information, but also addressing the knowledge and the wisdom that goes be behind everything that we do. In some ways, <laughs> I, I'm thinking of my son. I have this conversation with him all the time in some ways, <laughs> some parallels, because he says, Dad, I know how to do this. And <laughs> we have the conversation then of, Knowing how to do it and having that knowledge is different than being practiced in doing it or having the wisdom, as you're calling it, of having done it in many cases, many times over. And why? And most importantly, is why? Yes. Perfect example of this in the coaching practice, you know, imagine a person that is actually not managing for his time correctly. So I can go and tell him, you know, hey, you need to use a piece of software. You know, you can do this. This can actually be done. And he can do that. But if I look back and I start thinking why he cannot manage his time and address that, then that will be a more transformational. Uh, because if you think about this, you know, one person might have a reason why he cannot manage his time because he has some medical condition versus someone that is completely unaware. So how you treat that is different. Two than, different solutions. Absolutely. To say, okay, so this is how you do it. That doesn't bring transformation. That brings solution right now. But as soon as they change into a different job, then it goes back to having the same problem. So it's about adapting at that level. It's, you know, like at the very basic level. And that is part of the resilience component. You know, it's about adapting to what will allow you to build on that adaptation for the purpose of thriving. For someone who is interested in doing this type of work, regardless of what niche or regardless of what area, market area is what you called it earlier, but if for somebody who's interested in this coaching type element or being able to help people in that particular way, what advice would you give them? There are many, many different things. Uh, the two most important components is there are so many certifications of coaching out there that tell you how to do things. This is the perfect framework. You can use this. You can use that, which is information in my, in my, in my mind. If I was, and I talked to a couple of people that I'm mentoring, is know what you can do, but what have you learned in the process? So in other words, it's like if you look at your experience, if you look at your life, you know, what no it's important to what you have gone through but also it's important to what have you learned and use that as a framework to helping others using the coaching model that you just learned does that make sense so there are many people out there coaches that you know they enter the field using the most recent certification or tools of this and that that is having a competitive component that I was mentioning. You know? mm -hmm. If you want to do a market, it's like, what are you bringing? What have you learned in your life? 
if you were a scientist before, if you were this before, if you were, um, what have you learned? And put that in a framework that you can use using the skills of coaching that you just acquired. So that's what I would do. That's what I did. I coach with, you know, with my life experience and the framework that I developed on my own. No base on any, uh, now I am trying to justify the research and see, oh, I can do this too. And this is, you know, research that has done that supports what I do. But when I started, this is what I learned and it has worked for me and work for others as well. And I found that to be a huge competitive advantage, I think would be the right word for it, because nobody can take away your experiences, if you will. And that's part of what makes you unique as well. And leaning hard on those absolutely makes a ton of sense. And that's part of the reason why why we created this company or why I started this company seven years ago for happened to your career is because it leaned much the same way you just described it leaned very much on my experiences and what I had done. So wholeheartedly <laughs> agree. And I could probably be a case study for what you just described. So yeah. I really appreciate it. Thank you, by the way, so much for taking the time and making the time. And for people that want to know more about you and your story and everything else that comes along with it, where can they find out more about Luis? Where can they get more Luis? There are a couple of sources. So I have my coaching company website is www.velascoaching.com. Or I also have a blog which is, I hope to be the platform for my book launch. It's called beyondthefear.com. You can also find me on LinkedIn or on Twitter. But those are the two, beyondthefear.com and velascoaching.com. Very cool. Head on over to both of those and check those out. Hey, I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I hope that this was helpful. Thanks for listening to How to Become a Career Coach. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe in your favorite podcast player. For more resources, go to becomeacareercoach.com. Hold up. 